2: Yes, it does. And we are live, as always, from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York's Times Square. And this is Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan. And for Melissa, once again, your traders on this record-setting Boxing Day edition are Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and two very special guests, Gina Sanchez and Victoria Fernandez. Tonight on Fast, Amazon amazes the stock having one of its best days of the year. We're going to find out what is behind the post-holiday surge. Plus, Tim, he's Hi. got a fast pitch on this housing-related name, why he thinks this stock will nail it hint, hint, you know that. in the new year. And later Hi. on, return to Sender. You may have already returned that ugly Christmas sweater you got from your brother-in-law you really don't even like that much. But what if you could return the one ugly stock that you own? The desk will give us the names that they would like to ship back. All that ahead, but we start... With the nonstop rally on Wall Street, the NASDAQ hitting another major milestone, crossing above 9,000 for the first time ever records. They just keep falling. Stocks, they just keep climbing. And fundamentals, Tim Seymour, They don't seem to matter much.
1: No, they don't. Uh, You can find an argument for valuations within mega cap tech, I think. If you look at Intel, if you look at Cisco, um, I don't think you can really make that argument with Apple anymore. Uh, And the interesting thing about if you look at the triple Qs or the ETF for the NASDAQ 100, or you just look at the NASDAQ 100, we all know that Apple dominates this this index. And this is Apple, you know, pick... Whatever point in the road you want in 2019, it's, it's 70% from June, it's, it's 50% from August, 50% for Apple from August. Um, and that's, you know, that's how you're going to get to a NASDAQ at all-time highs. You have Microsoft and Apple leading the way. Today, you got a little Amazon for, for good luck, but Amazon's largely been out of this.
2: Which is amazing, Dan, because Apple, 28% this quarter, 50% since August, and yet we talk about the slowdown in iPhone sales. From China. That's why I was sort of alluding to the fact that fundamentals, I'm not saying don't matter, I probably shouldn't have said that, but considering the news around Apple, we haven't had any good news. Has been concerned and yet all it does is keep going higher. Well,
3: I, I guess the bigger issue is that uh, Apple started the year on January third, two thousand and nineteen, guiding down, guiding down China uh, iPhone sales in the quarter just ended down thirty five percent. So here they were working off a very low base all year as far as expectations. Now we have a year, the trailing twelve months, you had earnings and sales that were flat year over year from the prior year, but you have a stock that's up eighty two percent on the year. So it started the year at fourteen times, where people at that point were saying, if China's slowing and iPhone units aren't growing 14 times is kind of expensive because we're seeing a deceleration in services. So now you have a stock that's up 100% in this calendar year, up 82% of the year. It's gained $600 billion in market cap. And it didn't grow earnings or sales last year. It's trading at 22 times four. That forward like Dan's yes. bearish here. And, 20, hold on, and 24 it's times trailing. It's Facebook and market so cap. What, what that means is you've just had massive multiple expansion. When you see that's that sort opposite. of action, that is anticipating a lot of good news to come. If it doesn't come, you're going to have a stock that's going lower. And that's lower. the
4: problem, actually. In fact, if you look, that's a broad, broad market story as well. That's not just an Apple story. We've seen it across tech. We've seen it across the S&P. We've seen it across the, it across the NASDAQ. Is You've seen nothing for earnings all year. In fact, it's just, it's been a real earnings glut because we moved so much of the tax incentives uh, in order to buy so that earnings were really great last year and then they were really rough this year. And all we have seen is expectation. That multiple expansion makes up for more than 100% of what we've experienced. That
5: multiple expectation, too, you have to look at. I mean, it used to be seen as just a hardware company, right? And it shifted now, if you think of it as a software company, um, a revenue generating company from subscribers, from 2018 to 2019, you had a growth in subscribers. Now you've got streaming services that are coming in. I mean, I actually signed up last week for it. You know, I didn't have it before. What's on so. Disney
1: Plus? I mean, is there anything? Apple, that, Plus. Apple, Apple Plus. Plus. I mean, Apple Plus, sorry. Yeah. The, morning so the, the morning show. The morning show. Right. And it's worth buying it. Go out and buy it.
5: So there you go. So there is potential and we can't forget we have 5G coming as well. Obviously, that's going to actually help the hardware component yeah, that but, has been struggling.
1: But I, but I, I got to, I,
2: you know, don't yell at me, Tim. I'm going to defend Dan. I mean, I'm defending, Whoa, hey. I'm defending, not that what, he needs defending. What, what did I say? I, because I, you said he was bearish. Yes. And I think Dan's only point was, if you're buying it, you're buying it because you're anticipating good news. You're hoping, so, you're, you're, paying you're guessing the about the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but but I, I'm not saying go out and buy Apple after up 83% year-to-date. By the way, it's annualized at, at 80% for this decade. So it, this is actually not that much of an outsized move for Apple. Everything we're all saying here, I think, is actually somewhat consistent, which is that the stock has re-rated. The stock trades at 20 times forward on a blended multiple, right. uh, Victoria, which gets you into services and digital and a hardware multiple. The hardware multiple has re-rated because we've got wearables growing 25%. So. Uh,
4: yeah. Right, but getting to Victoria's point, all of that now is priced in, and that's Dan's point. Yes, it's good stuff. It is going to make a difference at some point. However, it's, you're already paying for it. I, if you're, I need to be the, the
1: bad guy on this it. desk tonight, I will be that well, guy. Well, to be fair, that's I think fine. you've been no, long, Apple. I'm not sure how right. I became well, the on. blazing <laughs> Apple, but, but, <laughs> but, but I'm just out some stuff. You monster. know why I came We're in me I said, it's Tim's night. It's Tim's night.
3: I got plenty of this taken on. Well, I, I do think it's interesting because we talked about MAGA, it's Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, and they're about $4.3 trillion in market cap. They make up almost 40% of the NASDAQ 100. When you look at the outsized gains of Apple, of Microsoft, up 56%. Google. Obviously, Amazon... Well, Google's up 30%. Google actually underperforms the, the NASDAQ. I think that's having its own multiple issues. You would call it cheap, but maybe there's some issues about what their expected growth is. And then Amazon has really trying to grow into this multiple, but it's lagged the, S, the S&P and the NASDAQ, actually. So, I guess my concern is, when you say it's annualized Apple at 80%, over the last decade. I'll say to you, it's $1.3 trillion. It's a massive percentage of the S&P 500. And you always say there's money on the sideline. People don't own it for the next 10-year, whatever the next leg is. I'll tell you, they do right now. And, and, and it may just, take some time to digest a I agree. A that, bit. And
1: just some perspective, Brian, because I know we've got to keep moving. But but think about where the where NASDAQ is. If you took it from the highs of Jan 2018, that blow-off top, or you could even have taken it from October. We're up 14% from October of 2018. We're up 22% from January of 2018. It's not as if it's been a tear it's been a tear the last three weeks to month, um, and certainly, but if you look at it on an annualized basis over the last couple of years with a lot of volatility, it's not like it's been I, I, that I hear outside. that, but there's a
2: theme that we talked about in the halftime report today, Victoria, which is this FOMO, this fear of missing out, mm-hmm. and the idea that if you're running money for clients, you have to own certain stocks because, but when they get their forms, the early next year they're going to say, why didn't you own Amazon? Remember, you know, there will be blood. Why don't I own this, right? Why don't I own this? And you feel like they might be coming in and buying these stocks just as (laughs) say look we own that even if they don't like it and i wonder what will happen next year
5: well you don't want to chase the market right so obviously if you don't own a stock you have a reason not to have that in your portfolio stand by that let your clients know why i mean we just added amazon i know we're going to talk about a little bit later but we just added amazon over the last couple weeks into our portfolio so we've had that conversation with clients but looking forward you just did we did we did. We just added it. Where have you been the last one, years? I know. Are you? I mean. Well, we were looking at the balance sheets, looking at the cash. Well, why, why, why is that? A wait a minute. minute. You sound like what one of her clients. It? Why?
2: Exactly. I might be, okay? <laughs> <laughs> why do you think she's on the show? I'm kidding. I'm not. She's not the client. What makes Amazon now look so attractive versus a year ago five years ago
5: so i will tell you that just like we talk about apple has its own ecosystem we see amazon now is creating its own ecosystem they're really capturing some of that value chain by having their own delivery process that they're working on now they have their own private label Um, products that they're using. They've gone, obviously, and done the Whole Foods thing previously. They're really expanding, and we think that capturing that value chain is going to help the margins, which we haven't liked previously, but we see some anticipation
4: that that's going to um, get better. Yeah, I would actually echo that and say that they've hit a threshold where all of the money that they've been investing for years is starting starting to to pay. pay back.
2: Really? You believe that? 20
1: years of really no... Profit, no, world's largest largest net income, non-profit, no free cash I mean, just the pushback company. on that is at one point it seemed a year ago that Apple was slowly growing into that valuation because again it's a valuation that's never made sense uh, but when you start to look at their ability to have some operating leverage on their business the, the problem is what we're hearing out of, out of Amazon is they're gonna have to continue to reinvest um, whether it's shipping whether it's logistics or infrastructure I don't think it really ever stops for them the question is what do you want to pay for it it's been fine to pay that multiple so far
2: well you wonder Dan is there is there some kind of a breakout look at that bring up that chart guys if we can again, because I think Dan's been talking about Amazon for a while, <laughs> yeah. and yet yeah, had a great day today, but the reality is that Amazon has not been this great money maker for a year and a half.
3: Yeah, I don't have a big problem with it. I, I think the fact that the stock has consolidated as the Nasdaq's gone parabolic over the last few weeks is actually kind of bullish, and so when you say to me, oh, I, we're just getting in, we're getting in for the next year or two, to, to Gina's point about the investments they're making, I think that omnichannel approach with uh, and, uh, bricks and mortar, I think going and verticalizing their logistics, I think that All makes sense but I think what we've seen in 2019 is when they have those investment periods we've seen this over the last 20 years with this stock the stock cools out I mean it just does right and I don't think Jeff Bezos cares I don't think their investors have actually cared over the last 10 years and when you think about their take rate on new online sales. They're getting 50% of all incremental online sales. You say to yourself, this is going to be a much bigger company. Right now they have $200 billion in North American sales right now. It's just not profitable. So the other issue we didn't mention is that AWS is becoming a smaller percentage and their margins are contracting a little bit. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I think the stock has been in a holding pattern.
4: Right. But I think also part of AWS really wasn't about necessarily um, building something for customers. It was actually getting customers to fund something that Amazon needed to build. for itself. So in many ways Amazon actually got their customers um, to go alongside them and help build an infrastructure that they needed anyway and they had turned that into a business. So it was actually a bonus but, that it made any money.
2: Okay. Well, one point that I want to move on top, because I think this conversation sort of exemplifies one of the concerns people have with the market. What are we talking about? Apple and Amazon, Apple and Amazon every day, <laughs> right? There's a lot of other that's, stocks, but so let's move 20% on. of the market let's, right there. Well, and if 50% of the QQQ is what, five stocks? Yes. yes. And you wonder if everybody's just piling into so the what, same thing. What, what, so let's move on. I want to bring up, guys, if we can, bring up the SMH or the SOX semiconductor. Right. Okay, because if you look at the NASDAQ 100, the last 30 days, with the exception of Tesla, and I think one other name, nine of the top 10 stocks have been semiconductors. Microchip, LAM, AMD they've all been on fire overcrowded semiconductor trade
1: well if you think about semis they, they've been so counter cyclical um, relative to what we were facing in terms of trade winds. in fact the smh uh, really uh, for a while there looked like it hit its peak in june of 2008 and yet somehow we plowed through those highs and if you think about uh, a lot of the companies we've been getting updates you listen to taiwan semi uh, who really is essentially the, the white label provider for the entire industry they're seeing enormous demand and they're seeing it resurgent from southeast asia and some real growth areas so um, it, it gets back to, though, uh, this is a momentum trade. And if you look at some of the stocks within uh, the SMH, they are they are the peak but of that momentum. But that's it. It's a, it's
2: a momentum but, trade. It's not, is actually, it, or is it fundamental I, I,
4: value? I process. think there's fundamental value there. I think to your point earlier that you made about this being a super cycle for some of these companies, I think semis are part of a broader super cycle. Part of what kept semis down was a lot of the noise around trade and whether or not they were going to get hit um, with various elements of their supply chain, what was going to happen with the U.S.-China trade deal. But the the, the if you look at sort of what has happened to semis, and they've ebbed and flowed. You know, you saw, for example, uh, cryptocurrencies at Bitcoin create a lot of semiconductor demand. That waned. Um, we've seen continued cloud storage continue to expand. That has created demand for semiconductors. I think that demand doesn't go down anytime soon. If anything, I think that is a super cycle we're in. Well, and that demand and the
5: momentum that we're talking about, that momentum's going to continue, right? When you look at markets that have had 20-plus percentage up years, of the time the following year is positive as well, right? So we've got that momentum that's pushing. It's not just semis, it's across the board. But the demand is going to be there because the consumer is still strong. We look at the health of the consumer right now. I mean, we've got debt service ratios, the lowest they've ever been, financial obligations at seven-year lows, savings rate at 8%. That's like a 20-year high. The consumer is there, which is going to give the demand for these products. And I think Simi's, along with the rest of the market, is going to have that momentum going forward. All
2: right, great macro discussion. So it has been a record day for your money. It's been a record year for your money. And if you bought up the 2009 lows, I mean, if you were just that good, or listen to Mark Haynes, it's probably been a record decade for your money. But as the saying goes, out with the old, in with the new as we head into the 2020s. Bob Bassani live on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I know, Bob, you're listening to that conversation. Probably just champing at the bit. to Jump in.
6: I am, but, but you know, it's remarkable what a decade this has been, Brian. It started out with fear, remember that, and it's ending with historic highs. Investors have been absorbed with the search for growth, which is why technology, look at this, so dramatically outperformed everything else, up more than 300% on the decade. Consumer discretionary has done well, healthcare industrials, consumer stables. But I want to focus on the bottom sectors. There's one notable standout here, energy. It's the only sector with no gains at all. For the last decade so what is next here so if history is any guide investors should avoid the fallacy that the future will look exactly like the past we've often noted stocks and sectors that outperform one year often underperform the following year this is called mean reversion it's a tendency for most investments to revert to long-term averages and it does happen over long periods of time as well let me show you an example look at 2000 or 2009 the top three sectors in that decade were energy consumer staples and materials they tended to underperform in the next decade 2010 to 2019 up only 80% the three bottom sectors back then communication services and technology and financials they tended to outperform in this decade up 184% this phenomenon also happened from 1990 to 2000 technology was the best performer then and it turned into the worst performer in the following decade so what is mean reversion Why does it seem to work as an investment strategy? For the stock market, there's two explanations. First, in a capitalist system, underperforming sectors tend to be ruthlessly restructured until they're more efficient. Secondly, there's that old future fallacy. Humans tend to continue buying things that keep going up in value, creating bubbles that eventually burst. And Brian, of course, that's one of the tenets of the whole idea of what happened in 2008 uh, and the problems we had in that market as well. Back to you. I
2: remember those days. I'm not sure a lot of other people do. Baba, you and I remember them. Thank you very much. Bob Sani. Okay. as always, really interesting historical perspective and probably important historical perspective. The question, Victoria, is we're going to ask you a very simple one because you're new to the desk here. On the spot. What's the market? <laughs> S&P target 10 years from now is what?
7: I'm
5: kidding. Higher. <laughs> I like that. Just higher.
2: <laughs> okay, how about this? Next year, what do you think? I mean, to Bob's point, people buying the winner, something we kind of just talked about here. Do you like the setup for 2020?
5: I do like the setup for 2020, but I think the reason we're looking at I know he's talking about mean reversion, right? And we've had the the techs, the industrials doing really well over the past year, but I think they're set up well for next year also. You've got a central bank that's extremely accommodative. You've got low inflation, right? You've got companies that have been sitting on some cash that are ready to maybe put some of that to work because we've got some of the uncertainties around trade and other issues that are coming off the table just a little bit. So you're setting yourself up to allow some of those cyclical names to continue to do well next year. So I think we won't see mean reversion in the next 12 well, by, months, by the way, but I'm gotta, gonna jump
2: in because you she is in from Houston. I am. They have a little oil and gas. So let's down talk there. about it. A little, a little, a little, no, but girl. if you believe in mean reversion, that means you're a buyer
1: of oil and gas. I'm right. So, so sorry. No, go Please ahead. Go. All right. So so if you think about where uh, the S&P weighting in the energy sector was in 2008, towards the end of that decade, yeah, it was, it was almost 17%. It was 16.8% at its peak. It's 4.2% now. So you haven't had to own energy if you're a fund manager. And, in fact, you could have avoided a lot of the disasters. But, you know, money, there's some, a lot of, you get a lot of cliches after, you know, at the end of a decade, at the end of a year. Money is lost very quickly and it's made very slowly. And if you think about uh, the Elongated cycles, especially of energy uh, and commodities and, and, and emerging markets, we had a period where, first of all, there's always a supply response that comes in the commodity space, whether it's oil, whether it's whether it's nickel. I mean, think about where we were at the end of the last decade, and everybody thought we were going to have a shortage of of raw materials, et cetera. What happened is that the, not only is there a technical standard deviation, the things that Bob was talking about. But there's a fundamental reason why you get this. They stopped investing in mines. They stopped investing in infrastructure around the, the energy sector because, in fact, a lot of this stuff was not profitable. And eventually you get to a place where supply and demand even not. I think energy will continue to outperform because I think the companies are being run for equity investors, not growth at all costs. Uh, I think emerging markets, which have underperformed for a decade, if we're getting this reflation trade, that's exactly where you're going to see the assets move.
4: But I'm going to put that in another perspective. Right now, investors are looking for value in their investments. And you're talking about the cheapest sectors and the cheapest areas. That's one of the reasons that you're seeing some of these emerging mm-hmm. markets was the red-headed stepchild they of everyone's portfolio. I got trouble but, but, yeah. but it's cheap, and there's, there's
2: cheap and there's cheap for a reason, Dan. Well,
4: right. But if you, if you look, right? yeah, yeah, there's cheap and cheap for a reason.
2: A lot of these companies, all they do is use every bit of free cash flow to pay debt service. I don't need to tell you that. No. Right? Yeah. The CEO may be out, but there's still plenty of drama at Boeing. Coming up, a new report talking about some alleged very disturbing behavior at the company. Later, home-building stocks stalling out after a strong start to the year. So will there be a new builder boom in 2020, especially if rates stay low? We are live from Times Square in New York City, and there is much more fast money, I'm told, right after this.
5: You seek the key.
2: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, the hits that keep on coming for Boeing and its investors. New documents under review by a congressional panel point to what some call, quote, very disturbing behavior at the company. Reuters says employees raised questions about Boeing's commitment to safety and prioritization of production schedules. Boeing issued a statement in response saying it proactively brought the documents to the FAA and Congress, but it added that the tone and the content do not reflect the company we are or need to be. This comes just days after Boeing fired at CEO Dennis Mullenberg. Stock is still positive for the year, but it could face new headwinds into the new year. Here's Phil LeBeau with what to expect.
8: Next year, Boeing's 737 MAX will have three critical moments. First, expect recertification early in 2020. The head of the FAA, Steve Dixon, has said he won't approve the MAX until he flies it himself. And there are still a number of hurdles to clear before the MAX takes off. But most believe it will be recertified in the first couple of months of next year. Once that happens, expect airlines to make a big push to convince flyers the MAX is safe. Southwest, American and United have parked their MAX planes for almost a year. They know passengers may hesitate or flat out refuse to board a MAX. So executives of those airlines will be on MAX flights to reassure their customers the planes are good to go. Once the MAX is back, look for Boeing to slowly ramp up production. Yes, the assembly line will be down at the start of the year, but Boeing will likely go to building 42 a month by mid-year. What about the MAX airplanes that have been built but not yet delivered? They will eventually take off and go to the airlines that have ordered them. But it will take all of 2020 and beyond for Boeing to clear out the inventory of more than 400 MAX airplanes.
2: And that was Phil LeBeau with his Playbook 2020. Uh, let's talk about Boeing. Gina Sanchez, your view on BA.
4: So Boeing is not out of the woods here. I think that one of the... this feels like, is like a, it's going
2: deeper into the woods in some cases.
4: If anything, this is turning into... The, you know, everybody talks about ESG. They don't know what it is. This is an S and a G story. This is a social and a governance story. This is a story about bad governance. And you're starting to get to a point where customers are are going to, to stop trusting the company. And once you get that, that is deep in the woods.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, I think... Look, this is all a cultural change at Boeing that's needed to happen, and it's easy to look back on it now and shine a bright light and say, hey, uh, there was some arrogance, there was some obstinance with the FAA, there was a lot of missing data, Uh, we're going to continue to hear about this. But at the end of the day, you've still got the same company that people loved two years ago. And I I think the the reality is that Larry Kellner will do a charm offensive with all of the airlines as customers, he comes out of that world. Uh, I think, you know, Calhoun is somebody that's going to continue, look, There's a journal article out today about he made a phone call and he called up the FAA and he let them know that, you know, it was a new sheriff in town and that it was was an inclusive sheriff. That's really where we are, yep. although these three guys were part of the last regime, yep. but they're they're doing their best to set a culture change.
4: Right, but you have two more stories, right? There was one story basically saying, by the way, Calhoun made massive donations um, into the GOP um, directly to uh, McConnell, whose wife is the head of the Department of Transportation. That's one story. Elaine Show, Yeah, Elaine Chao. Sounds and like then business have, as usual in D.C. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, perhaps, I mean, but this isn't the kind of story that sort of helps the new sheriff in town look credible. And, and, you know, w- without conflict. And the second is the story that Mullenberg may walk away with anywhere from $30 to $60 million in a golden parachute. Yeah. While you're talking about $144,000 are going to be split up uh, between 346 victims pro rata.
2: All that's that's to, all that, and, and you're telling a bad story. You're telling yeah. a bad story. But if you look at Boeing and you think, it's really duopoly. I mean, the, I guess the worst case scenario for Boeing's customers is they switch to a different Boeing jet. Boeing's, you know, are they going well, to are they that they lose business? They have business? 400
3: 737 MAX that are parked in deserts. They have a cost structure that's set up that's basically been rejiggered over the last five years to build 4,500 of these over the next few years. I think it's easier said than done that they just buy another Boeing jet. Um, you know, I, I think there is some political aspects to this. I think it does get uglier before it gets better. I think Boeing knows that. So how, how, does, how do you explain the stock, which has done almost
1: nothing for, through yeah. all of this, with, with, you know, a lot? A but it hasn't. I,
2: fa- I know. That your, are you making the point that it hasn't, it hasn't dropped? dropped. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm
1: telling you. We we all know we're pricing in a lot of uncertainty on the legislative side or uh, because on the everybody keeps side. saying, "Oh, well,
2: it's going to get back into service soon. It's going to get. Back. It's like the sixth no, time I've said that. Well,
1: I mean, that was one of the problems that Boeing actually well, is being slapped around And maybe Calhoun changed Mullenberg.
2: Yeah, I mean, front running the FAA. The
1: FAA was not happy about this. But either way, you can't tell me that analysts around the street haven't changed their numbers on the company. I think they've made cutbacks. I think they've. The re-passed point. Re-passed I do wonder what the trading in
2: a range. Are the passengers going to get back on the jet when it goes back into service? Assuming it goes back into service, we're going to find out. All right, there's a lot more coming your way here on Fast Money, including this. It wasn't a very Merry Christmas for all the stocks in our traders' portfolios. We'll find out which ones ended up being a lump of coal. Plus, it's the best stock of the decade. But can Netflix continue its run when the new year begins? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
9: What does
5: it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. All
2: right, welcome back to Fast Money. We spoke a lot about Amazon's big day earlier, keeping busy not just with those getting out deliveries before Christmas, but processing returns over the next couple of days. And it is not the only retailer, no doubt, seeing customers bringing back the gifts they don't like, they don't need, or don't want. So, with that holiday spirit in we mind. We love the spirit it, of giving. Yeah, it got nice, us thinking. In the nice spirit of holiday it. returns, what stocks do you wish you could send back. Tim Seymour, kick it off.
1: I think it has to be L Brands. Um, so they, uh, Bath & Body Works, and of course, Victoria's Secret, and you've got two different fortunes there, but really getting weighed down by Victoria's se- Secret. I don't think anything uh, is going to change here. By the way, whenever we used to talk about L Brands, we would get gratuitous footage of, of people, you know, models. Well, anyway, so we'll stop that. But the bottom line is this stock, as we went into the decade, was an $18 stock, traded up to 95 It will leave the exact same price at the end of this decade. Bed, Bath & bo- Body Works is growing going seven to eight percent, Victoria's Secret is contracting four to five percent. I think this is a stock that, despite activism and some dynamics that could change the boardroom, uh, is, is left with a brand that is no is no mall to hang out in, which is really anybody, where I think is going Would anybody pick up? Going.
2: Would anybody pick up Tim's return? Anybody a buyer of LB? No. There we go. I think that says it all. all right. Gina. All right. Your so, return to sender. My stock.
4: return to sender is Apache. We talked about mean reversion, but this is definitely one about avoiding a falling knife. Sometimes things are cheap for a reason. You look at uh, you look at energy. Energy is at 19 times uh, trailing. You look at Apache. They're 15 times, and the reason is that they are just having tremendous troubles with a really key um, drilling that they're doing down in Suriname and. Not making produ- they're not making any real effort there. I mean, not, they're making a lot of effort. They're not making any uh, headway. Headway there, um, and they're having troubles elsewhere, which is to say that they are having real production troubles. How are you going to make money if you can't produce?
1: Sixty-eight dollar stock five So this oh. is, Gene. Um, just this is not. It's not a cyclical energy call. You mm. say this is a broken company.
4: This is a broken company. Got
2: it. Okay, now. Victoria, do I understand it as the Houston resident on this panel, you are sending an oil and gas stock also back?
5: I am at least part of it, right? I'm not saying you have to completely sell out of ExxonMobil. That's our pick. But it maybe trim the position a little bit, not because we don't like it as a holding for the long term, but really because we think that you know, there's a, a better use of some of the funds we could have received from that over the past year. You look at that chart year to date on pricing. I mean, from the end of the first quarter, it's just been downhill all the way. So we think there were better uses of funds than keeping it in Exxon. It's got Apple. a
2: triple A credit rating. It doesn't exactly. have a lot of debt relative to its cash flow. It's got a 5% dividend yield.
5: Well, that's why long term, I think it's, an it's okay holding, but trim some of that position while it was doing the steady decline down. Use those proceeds for a higher quality name in your portfolio that was doing better this here
3: okay and a final return to sender from dan nathan yeah, i think what victoria says is really important there's better uses of funds right that we don't all have finite amounts of capital like you there big guy what mean? i mean but what i'm saying is so so Wait let's go back to apple Oh, we have an infinite. Yes, correct. Um, Apple. And just to put, you know, I've been wrong on this thing for the last, let's say, 10 percent over the last month or so. The thing (laughs) has gone parabolic. I think the last time it did that was in summer into the fall of 2018. It had a 20 plus percent return, almost in like a straight line over two months. Over the next few months, it dropped 45 percent peak to trough. This stock has had Multiple 30-plus percent peak-to-drop declines in the last five years. So the only point I'm making, is, I'm not trying to get you out of Apple. I'm not your broker. I'm not your hedge fund manager. I don't own it for you. I'm just telling you that this stock, the biggest one in the world, has a tendency to lose a third to 40% of its value every couple years, and it usually happens after you have a parabolic move like this.
2: Okay, good stuff. Returning nice. to Sender 2 Oil & Gas, L Brands, and Apple. All right, coming up, we're going to reveal the stock of the decade. It is just... One name that has dominated the market in the past 10 years. But first, Tim, taking the mound to pitch his next big idea. It's one housing-related stock that he says is a total home run. You ready? Fast pitch. Yeah, That's next let's do it. on Fast Money. Fired up. And welcome back to Fast Money. Homebuilders have been a red-hot trade for investors this year. But could the builder boom Go bust. Here's Diane Olick with your 2020 housing playbook.
0: The housing market is a mix of highs and lows. So here's what to watch in 2020. First, the housing shortage will get worse. The number of homes for sale is already low, and demand is incredibly strong thanks to improving employment and the largest generation aging into its home buying years. The demand, however, is mostly on the low end, where supply is leanest. That will cause prices to continue to overheat at the entry level, while prices ease on the higher end, where supply is more plentiful. Second, mortgage rates will stay low. Mortgage rates dropped in 2019 and will likely stay low through 2020, as uncertainty over a trade war and presidential election year keep investors heavy in the bond market. Mortgage rates loosely follow the yield on the 10-year Treasury. The only wild card is mortgage finance reform. If major changes are made to the roles of Fannie and Freddie, rates could finally break higher. And third, we're bullish on the builders. The combination of a major housing shortage and low interest rates will keep demand for new housing high, both single and multifamily. The home builders have been ramping up production, and in 2019, they finally started to pivot to entry-level homes. If they can afford to put up even more. Big sales numbers will follow. Their headwinds, though, continue to be high prices for land, labor, and regulatory compliance.
2: That of course was Diana. Look, reporting. Check out some of the best performing home builders in 2019. Masco—they're not a home builder, but they build the faucets and stuff that go into the houses. You got names like D.R. Horton, Pulte, and Lennar—they are actual home builders. You had M.I. We talked about the one in Columbus, Ohio. So, will the home builder rally continue into next year, Victoria?
5: yes i think it will we're um we own lenar it's in our portfolio we think there's a lot of strength going forward with mortgage rates this low and with the momentum that we're seeing with the consumer we think housing play has some room to go
4: so affordability definitely helps that too because you have the accommodated fed as you mentioned earlier housing affordability is as affordable as we've seen and you we do we have had a shortage of Inventory. Dr. Horton has actually benefited from that in particular, um, and I think that you're going to continue to see uh, a sort of catch yeah. up in that space.
2: You know, it's well, You're in L.A. Yes. I mean, there's no housing affordability there. We know you got to move out to Victorville to get a house Very that much. most people can afford. You know, we always talk about these big markets. Tim, is there any stock? I know you got your fast pitch coming up in a second, but is there any stock place like Bristol, Virginia? You know, off the radar places. We always talk about the the big money of New York. That's not how you make the big money.
1: Well, I I just want to point out that I think the macro, you know, one of the things you say in a lot of different investment constructs is you can't invest in a bad neighborhood. So literally bringing this into the housing space, I I think rates are going higher in 2020. I don't think this is going to be good for housing stocks. They're totally correlated uh, to to the rates market. I think I would say two-thirds of your return um, was was correlation and beta related to lower rates in 2019. Well, towards-
4: I don't think they're going to go higher though. I think they're going to go sideways. I think 2020 is actually going to be a weak year. I think, I, well, look,
1: well, I don't think are rates are going to three 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 and a half, but I do think that I mean, rates are, are the, the trend is higher. We just talked about a bunch of trades well, that are reflation trades. I mean, that's a higher rate environment. Uh, I don't think housing stocks can outperform. Well,
3: just overlay the 30-year mortgage over the last couple of years. You look at it, it obviously went from 4.8 a year ago down to 3.8 where it is right now. Um <laughs> if you do the new home sales you overlay that we're right now at like almost 10 year highs and back a year ago when they were at 4.8 which yep. was a 10 year high almost in mortgage rates they were much lower so it really is a rate call i do think it's interesting that the 10 year treasury is having a lot of t- a lot of trouble here at 2% but if we get into this period where you know you're talking about consumer, you're talking about all this stuff, we get all these headwinds to global growth out of the way, rates are going to have to go higher. I mean, that's exactly what I'm happened. in that though for a while. Well, mean, no, I, mean, I don't. I mean, listen, but what I'm saying is, but if but
1: the economy is so strong, folks, this, they, they, they should be going. Back ahead. and they, rates they need should to go. Agree about it. I'm I mean, saying
2: two years ago, everybody, on you know, CNBC, rates are going to three percent. Next thing you know, we're one and a half. <laughs> all, right, all right, sticking with the housing space. <laughs> Tim says there's one name that is building up for some big gains heading into the new year. Tim, head over to the plaza, please. Give us your fast
1: pitch. Right, so housing stocks, how about a derivative on the housing sector? And, and ultimately, my fast pitch is Home Depot. This is a company that has re-rated also in the last decade. But I want to talk about a couple things that I think are really uh, what's going on here. First of all, this is a stock that was a darling stock for much of certainly 2017, 2018. This stock's done nothing uh, effectively in the last couple of years. I think there's been a massive sentiment reset, including the analyst day in mid-December, where they, essentially they guided lower on margins. I think uh, If you think about the fundamentals of the company and how they're running this business, they're reinvesting in technology. They're reinvesting in some of their, their, their pro services, by the way, which is a very high margin business. We're talking about macro. So we just talked a little bit about the macro trends. How about you know, retail sales? We saw this also coming out of the holiday season, up 3.5%. 3.5% unemployment. The consumer is employed. Uh, there's a housing stock shortage. So what are you going to do? You're going to reinvest in the home you have, and you're going to take out a HELOC loan, which is has never been easier to get. Um, finally, I just want to talk about that the chart is your friend, because, I mean, this is really a case where um, what we just talked about with a company that I think was a darling stock and one that really outperformed but again, look, look, you, you basically have this sideways trend. And if you if you look, though, where this stock and this is a two year stock, a two year price target, excuse me, a two year chart. Um, you had a couple of these moments here where it had a chance to kind of break through the bottom end of the, of the range, including the 200 day. I think it's been consolidating here. And in fact, like a lot of stocks we talk about on the show, after two years of doing nothing, if anything, this price action tells me it's going higher now.
2: All right. There's Tim's fast pitch. On Home Depot,
3: great use of the Telestrator there, Captain. I I like it. It's not
1: my first rodeo, pal. You you know, (laughs) listen,
3: (laughs) that that all makes (laughs) sense. And if you believe what the ladies were saying about the economy, about the consumer, I think then get into Home Depot here. It is up 28% in the year. It's down about 6% from those sides. Really importantly, though, the earnings guidance that they gave a month and a half ago and then the uh, investor meeting. Very. When you get that guidance, I just don't want to buy into two downgrades of guidance. So to me, I'm not a buyer here. Okay, Victoria?
5: All right, I'm going to have to disagree here. I'm going with buy. And it all goes back to what we were just talking no, 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 about. No, 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 no.
3: She, she said buy. She disagrees with Dan.
1: Why? She
2: disagreed with the disagreement, which is an agreed. <laughs> Love it. I think.
5: Just to confuse you. So, <laughs> you yes, like we are a buyer. We think housing is going to continue to do
4: well. And along with the remodeling, then Home Depot is a winner.
2: That is a buy. Okay, so Thank
4: I'm going to go with the no buy. So, no buy. You got sell, buy, and no buy.
2: Cuba's getting a lot of work on your uh, Home Depot. Oh, and so we just see there, the, there, the, the
4: one Home Depot announcement that they just made is a massive investment project. It's not going to take a quarter, two quarters. It's going to take several years. And I think it's going to depress the stock for some time as they swallow that investment. I think over time, it can be a good investment that will pay itself back. But I think it's not just a one or two quarter problem. I think it's a multi year investment problem.
2: All right, Tim, your fast pitch. Mm. Uh, outside,
1: high and outside. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe, maybe just a little. Maybe you were leaning over the plate a little bit too much. I had to brush you back.
2: All right, well there you go. Two nos and yes for Home Depot. Okay, the desk is voted. But what about you, all at home? Are you buying Tim's pitch on Home Depot? You can go vote our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. reveal the results later on in the show. Coming up, it is the stock of the decade, but rising competition can put a big chill on this name. The details and debate when we come back. Plus, why options traders are making a big bet on the most important meal of the day how can you make money off breakfast we'll tell you coming up All right, welcome back to fast money pretty much like every other sector it's been a strong year for insert name here no consumer staples General Mills, one of those, up a whopping 35% this year. And over in the options market, one trader is betting big on the most important meal of the day. Options play chief strategist Tony Zhang is at the plasma to break down the action and what he is seeing on GAS options. Tony. So General Mills does not trade
7: very actively. Normally, less than 4,000 contracts are traded, but today we saw almost 30,000 contracts trade on a single trade. This was a roll, and I get asked a lot of questions about the strategy, so let's break this down. Today, what we saw was actually an investor already owns almost fifty thousand contracts of the fifty dollars call options that expire in April. Now he sold these at three seventy five, collecting almost five point six million dollars in premium, and he took that to buy fourteen thousand four hundred contracts of the same fifty dollars calls expiring in January twenty twenty one, paying five forty five for that. So that net was about seven point eight million dollars. So he spent almost two a little over two million dollars to to basically extend this trade by about eight months. And to understand this trade, I think we've got to take a look at the chart. So the original April options were, were established back here in around September, and I think the trader was looking for a breakout. This stock has traded within a tight range, but... As you can see, that trade did not materialize. So what we're seeing is we have to zoom out to about a five-year chart here. And to my eye here, what you have here is a big bottoming formation, an inverted head and shoulders that that has been forming. And I think the trader just wants to buy a little bit more time, looking at maybe about a $60 target on this particular trade by the January 2021. All
2: right, watching GIS, great stuff. Tony, thank you very much. Tony Zhang. Thank you. For more options action, of course, you can check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right, up next, the one stock that has outperformed every other in the S&P 500 over the past 10 years. As always, live at the NASDAQ, more fast money still ahead. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've been teasing it out all show this long. We're about the film, reveal Brian. of the stock of the decade. That stock is huh, Netflix. Nice job. Wow, the stock dominating so exciting the 2010s, climbing more than 4,000%, Tim. Yes. Over the past 10 years, Netflix has revolutionized the content distribution landscape, we're told. It's introduced millions of people to video streaming and reshaped <laughs> the very idea of the blockbuster hit. Not only is Netflix the S&P's best performer, it's outperforming Hollywood at its own game. Netflix scored 15 Oscar nominations in 2019 alone and has won 43 primetime Emmys since the year 2013. But as Netflix has evolved, so has the streaming landscape. There are a lot more players in the game. So can Netflix remain in the spotlight in 2020 or is this curtains for the stock? Julia Borston is back at CNBC HQ with more. That was a long read, Julia.
9: <laughs> well, Brian, Netflix did define an entirely new industry of streaming video, which has disrupted the pay TV business as well as the movie industry. And now the original streamer is facing a slew of new competitors. The first wave of new rivals, Apple TV Plus, launching November 1st, which is free with the purchase of any Apple device. It was followed by Disney Plus on November 12th, drawing 10 million signups in its first day. We'll have to see whether either of these eat into Netflix's fourth quarter subscribers. And then coming up next in April, CNBC's parent company, NBC Universal, is set to launch ad-supported Peacock. Which will include a free option as well as a paid option. And then that will be followed in May by the launch of AT&T's HBO Max. Now, all of these rivals aren't just competing for consumers. They're also fighting for content, which is and will continue to push content costs higher. Now, Netflix, Netflix forecasts the addition of 600,000 subscribers in the U.S added in the fourth quarter. That's slightly more than it added last quarter. And it does say it ex- it expects to add 7 million subscribers overseas in Q4. Though remember, those international subscribers don't pay as much as those do here in the U.S. Brian?
2: All right, Julia. Julia, thank you very much. All right, quick comment. Anybody on Netflix, Stock yeah. of the Decade.
1: I, I, first of all, this is the miss of the decade for me. So to be clear, I mean, I, you know, I kept saying too expensive, too expensive. I do think that the market is demanding profitability from all companies in a different way and the competitive landscape. Look, the Irishman has been a disappointment. I mean, things that you've expected out of these guys, maybe not in terms of the quality, but in terms of the viewership. I'm not, I would not Would never be b- well, besmirched, Mr. Scorchese. I'll just
3: make one point Scorchasey. about buying it into the new decade. I would wait until they report earnings in mid-January if they have their third consecutive U.S. Uh, subscriber miss of expectations. Yeah. I just don't think you're going to want to own it in 2020. That's a good. So much for the
5: content. Well, yeah. And going forward, I mean, obviously there's new competitors coming out. And Julia talked about that. But I think what we also have to realize is that these competitors, this is not their only revenue stream that they have. For Netflix, this is it. This is yeah, all they yeah, have. When right? you're looking at Apple and Disney, they have other sources of revenue that they can use, whether it's to buy content, develop content, or just to support that system right now because they're doing it at such a cheap price.
2: But the, the bulls would say, but that's why they're good. That's what they're good with it because that's all they do, and that's how they've made it. All right, coming up, your final trades. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Check out this video. So it, it looks like a normal package delivery driver just doing his job. He walks up, puts down a package, takes a confirmation photo, but not so fast. He then picks it back up and apparently steals it. Police say they have reached out to Amazon to help identify the driver, but the company was less than cooperative, saying they would only help track down the man if a subpoena was served. That's a boo. All right. that is Time now to reveal the results boy. from Tim's fast pitch on Home Depot. <laughs> this one was close, but Tim, sad to say, 49% of viewers at home do not agree with you. That means I won. Yeah, because that means 51% did. Hold on.
1: <laughs> i this has never happened before this show money. is not called okay. math money this for is, a reason apparently hold on a second <laughs> if the, i got 51 uh, I do, I, if i had to guess someone might have let's flipped. do our final trade tim why
2: don't you start us off all with right the so let's
1: put you over the top because i am muttering home depot you have to dance with the one that brung you again i think a conservative guide here uh, you get to roughly 15 times you're at a 255 Gina. stock
4: Okay, I'm going for Disney. The Disney Plus obviously uh, outperformed, but they've also shown pricing power with their parks. That's continuing. Victoria? We're buying MasterCard, good revenues, good margins, and they're buying back
5: stock.
3: Dan? Yeah, Netflix, again, I'm not a buyer after this 15% run into the new year. All right,
2: guys, really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. 49% 49%. good win. (laughs) Thank you. Mad Money with Jim starts right now.